This morning I'll be reading to y'all Matthew 28:18 through uh, 20. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're going to begin this lesson this morning a little bit differently than we normally do. We've got some guys, hopefully by now, posted around that are going to be handing out some bookmarks. If those guys will start doing that now, I would appreciate it. Everybody that's willing to participate in this exercise, uh, take a bookmark, if you will. Don't worry about spelling. You're not going to be turning these in. There, there's not a test involved. Uh, you may spell these people's names phonetically if you, if you need to, as long as you know who you're talking about. So the idea is, and those of you that were a part of our workshop a couple of weeks ago know what the bookmarks are. This is just the beginning place for an evangelistic explosion, hopefully, in this congregation. And it all starts with having some specific people in mind. Someone has says what, what the mind can conceive and the heart can believe, by the grace of God, we can achieve and so it all begins with, with thinking in terms of souls. So what we want you to do once you get one of these bookmarks, if you will, give thoughtful consideration and write ten names of people that you would like to see led to the Lord. People that you know of who are spiritually lost that either you or someone in this congregation will be able to uh, interact with, with the Word of God, and, and teach them what they need to do to become a New Testament Christian and to have their souls saved by God's grace and his mercy. Uh, everybody that will, uh, I would pray that you would participate in this. Again, bear in mind, you're not turning these back in. The whole point of the bookmark is for you to write down those ten names of people that you know of that you would like to see led to the Lord. And then use that bookmark in your Bible, keep it in your Bible, so that every time you open your Bible, hopefully that's on a daily basis, You'll see those names, and you'll be reminded of these people. Also, pray for them, that their hearts might be opened to the seed of God's word being planted in their hearts. And that's where we want to begin this process, with just thinking about people that you know of, that I know of, that need the Lord Jesus Christ in their hearts. Has everybody got a bookmark that wants one? I think just about... Everybody has, has been served at this point. Anybody hold your hand up if you want one. Let me say from a personal perspective, I remember when I became a Christian at the age of 11. Thank you guys so very much. When I became a Christian at the age of 11, I began at that point in my evening prayers before I went to sleep at night to mention the names of people that I knew of that needed to be led to the Lord, who needed salvation. And I know that's a, a rather young age to be doing that, but that was one of the things that I heard somebody encourage uh, people to do, a part of the kingdom, and so I started doing that. And uh, you, you have to remember that at the age of 11 in the North Georgia mountains, my, my sphere of influence and, and people that I knew was very limited, but I had six people that I prayed for. And over the course of time, five of those six became New Testament Christians, at least a couple of them even after I'd left to go to college. But uh, folks, 
The prayers of righteous people avails much. And our intent and our desire to use the power of God, encapsulated in his holy word, and in touching their lives and leading them to the Lord can do immense good. And that's what we want to think about and talk about for a few minutes this morning. I think I may have told this story some years ago, but it's worth repeating because it's germane to the topic. Charles Swindoll is a well-known author, and he has a book called uh, Dropping Your Guard. And in that book, there's a story that both fascinates and disturbs me. And and it's a true story, and it's uh, particularly interesting to me because my sweet wife is from Atlanta, and we lived over there in Gwinnett County for 15 years while we were raising our kids. And so uh, the story has to do with how the Church of God Grill got its name. You heard right, the Church of God Grill. Swindoll kind of explains that that story in, in one quick paragraph, and let me share it with you in his words. He said, when I lived in Atlanta several years ago, I noticed in the yellow pages in the listing of restaurants an entry for a place called the Church of God Grill. The peculiar name aroused my curiosity, and so I dialed the number, and a man answered with a cheery, hello, Church of God Grill. And I asked how his restaurant had been given such an unusual name, and he told me. Here's what he said. Well, we had a little mission down here, and we started selling chicken dinners after church on Sunday to help pay the bills. Well, people liked the chicken, and we did such a good business that eventually we cut back on the church services so that we'd have more time to serve dinner. And after a while, we just closed down the church altogether and kept on serving chicken dinners, and we kept the name we started with, which was Church of God Grill. I I think Swindoll's story shows how easy it is for churches to lose their perspective and to lose sight of our main mission as the church of the Lord. Is it possible to ever see a sign that says Church of Christ Grill? Well, I pray not. I I hope that we never lose our moorings to the point that that's what we become. But, But that's our certain destiny if we ever forget what our primary business is, and that's the saving of souls and the making of disciples. That's what Jesus said in our text that we're to be about, and we're going to look at that text again in just a moment. See, when we lose our focus, we might as well just be serving chicken dinners. While we want the church to grow, I think we can get confused about what church growth really is. We can be so overwhelmed and enamored with transfer growth that we sometimes forget that we need to be touching lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ, people who've never heard that message so that they will know exactly where they are in in regards to their standing with God, and then they will know what they need to do in order to make that that relationship with God right. Sometimes we lose that. And and so, again, we're we're enamored with with transfer growth. Let me explain very quickly what that is. It is exactly what it sounds like. It's when people in 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 a locale just swap congregations. They go from one congregation to another, that sometimes that is a very necessary thing. I understand that. But we also need to understand that when that happens, and especially in cities where there is a population shift, and oftentimes the shift of the population moves out into the suburbs and then beyond over the course of time, I've experienced that in my ministry. But sometimes there's just an influx of people. We can look around and we can see the auditorium full of people on Sunday morning and go, isn't that great? We need to make sure that we're not fooling ourselves. That is not organic growth. That's transfer growth. 
There are, no, there are no souls being added to the kingdom of Christ when people just go from one congregation to another. So let's make sure that we're, we're squared away on what we mean when we talk about growing the church. It's not just having people transfer into our congregation and, and so we add them to the role and when we pat ourselves on the back and say we're growing. In reality, tr- true church growth takes place when unsaved people experience reconciliation with the Lord. And that actually involves a great deal. Now, by the way, I, I do believe it involves finding that new person who has moved in to the community who's already a member of the Lord's kingdom. They just moved in, and, and so we're helping him or her to assimilate themselves into the work of the Lord in the local congregation and assisting them in their Christian service. We're, we're not excluding that at all. That is a vital part, I think, of the, of the life and the ongoing of the church of the Lord. But I still believe that the real effort that we need to be making is the preparation of our own people to be involved in what Paul called the ministry of reconciliation. Now, if you've read the New Testament at all, you're familiar with that term. If not, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for just a moment, and we will familiarize ourselves with it together. 2 Corinthians 5, and I'm going to be reading verses 18 and 19. Listen to what Paul says about the work that he, as a gospel preacher, was involved in. And and not just as a preacher, but as a Christian. Verse 18, now all things are of God. That's the beginning point. Everything that we know, everything that we are, all starts with God as the originator. Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. If you're not squared away, if you forget sometime what it is that we as the church ought to be doing, Paul identifies that very clearly for us in this passage. We are to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation. Notice verse 19. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So the ministry of reconciliation only takes place when we use the word of reconciliation. The holy word of God is the only thing that can reconcile lost men and women back to Jesus' side. So once we're squared away on that idea, it helps us to to launch what we understand the church is to be about, what it is that we're to be doing on a daily basis. Now, I truly believe that every one of us right here this morning and who are joining us online sincerely believes that the Lord's church can grow right where we are. I I believe that you believe that or you would be someplace else. Now, I personally believe that the Lord's church can grow anywhere there are people. That just makes sense, doesn't it? Anytime you have people and you can interact with them and share with them the holy word of God, the good news of the gospel, then the church can grow because that person can then be reconciled to Christ and then they're added to the Lord's kingdom by the Lord himself, Acts 2, verse 47. And yet I remember a few years ago reading an article that a a brother had written that he had submitted and was published in Firm Foundation where he was lamenting the fact that, that you can't grow the church unless you are in the right location. Now, I realize that location factors in because of something that I mentioned a moment ago. 
In many cities, there's a population shift, and so it becomes more difficult to grow the church when the population, the demographics of the city, have moved out beyond where you are. I realize how that works, once again, because I've experienced that. But that is not the most important issue in growing the church. In fact, sometimes we can use that as a rationale or an excuse for not growing the church because we're in the wrong location. And that's what this brother was writing his article about. He was saying that it's kind of like real estate, you know, where the three most important things are location, location, location. And he said that's true in the church as well. And in the article, he more or less excused any lack of numerical growth on the basis of poor location. Now, here's the irony of that. I did a little research and realized that on the very city, in the same city and on the very street where this man's congregation was that he preached for, there was a denomination that was at that time the fastest growing church in the United States. See, they, had, they weren't having any problems growing. And I think it was because of a mindset. It certainly wasn't because of location. I submit to you this morning that location is simply not the primary element in reaching people. Anywhere there are lost people. The seed of God's word needs to be planted in the hearts of men and women. Now what I'm saying is that we need to be careful that we don't create that mental block because of our location in the community. By the way, we're in a good location. I think we all appreciate that. But we, we can't ever allow that to be a mental block in our minds and think it's impossible to carry out the Great Commission just because of where the church building is located in the city. In fact, again, you're here this morning in part because you believe that the church can grow and I'm here because I believe it can grow too. But also I believe that there are some, some ways and means that we can help the church grow with God's power making it happen. Don't ever forget where the source of power really is. It is not in our effectiveness. It is not in our personality plus. It is not in our charisma to be able to influence people to become a part of the church of which we're a part. That's, that's not what it's all about. The power is in the word of God. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is God's power to save those that believe. That was true 2,000 years ago. It's still true today. And so Rob was telling us exactly the way it was two weeks ago in our workshop when he was saying, we've got to get people interacting and encountering the word of God. At some point in this process, we need to remember what we're in business for, and that is to help God's word to touch their hearts, to lead them to the Lord, so that they too can be saved, redeemed people. Now, think about for a moment what we need to, to be thinking about. I really believe with, in defining what the mission of the church is. I know I'm, I'm going to sound like I'm, I'm really repeating myself this morning, but I am deliberately hammering this home. We've got to realize what our mission is. And one of the reasons that I'm doing that is because in every congregation of which I've been a part, there's always been this struggle of understanding exactly what it is that we need to be doing. I mean, every day of the week, what we as God's people need to be doing in terms of interacting with the people in our community and even with people around the world. Now watch this. God's whole purpose for mankind, starting in Genesis chapter 3, was the redemption of lost humanity. And I, I didn't just pull Genesis 3 out of the air. If you know your Old Testament, you know that's where Adam and Eve, the only couple on the face of the planet at the time, decided that they were going to exercise their free will and disobey God. We call it the fall of man. 
because they fell spiritually at that moment. God said, there's just one tree, don't eat of that tree. The day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. They decided that they knew better than God. And so with, with Satan's urging and his direction, Eve was deceived. She gave the fruit to her husband and he partook of that, that fruit and they both were then thrust out of the garden and away from the tree of life. There's all kinds of implications and there's all kinds of great sermons, but you're not going to get all of them this morning. I just wanted you to know that, that you can't turn in your Bible more than two or three pages until you find that, that man has messed up the situation. Adam and Eve had it perfectly, idyllically, in the Garden of Eden. But because they decided to exercise their free will and disobey God, they turned their back on God's will and they rebelled. And then later on down the course of history, thousands of years later, we know of course that Jesus came with the perfect solution to the fall of man. And I don't mean just for Adam and Eve, I mean for every one of us who've been affected by the sin that was introduced the day that Adam and Eve died. I don't believe that we share in their guilt, but I do believe that we share in the consequences of the introduction of sin into this world. And we've been suffering for, with that and from that every day since. And so when Jesus comes along and dies on the cross, and even before he died, and gave himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins... He told his disciples then, and, and I think he was informing us today as well, what his true mission was. In Luke 19, verse 10, he said, The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. And you're thinking, Jesus did a lot of other things than just evangelize, didn't he? Well, yes. But he was telling us his primary purpose, his main mission, was to seek and save the lost. Now, there are a lot of other things that a local congregation of the Lord's people can be doing and should be doing in 2021. But all of them are subordinate to the idea of our true mission, and that is leading men and women to salvation at the foot of the cross. So Jesus came with that one mission in mind. The theme, in fact, of the entire Bible is seeking and saving the law. Starting with Genesis 3.15 forward, it was God's plan and his desire that every lost person be saved. What, therefore, is the heart and the mission of the Lord's church? Well, the simple answer is to do exactly what Jesus did, and that's to seek and save the lost. So if I'm a part of the body of Christ, then that's going to be my mission as well. There is no fault in the logic in that thinking, nor the scriptural nature of it. The problem is, and, and, and I don't want to just kind of fly by this, so that we don't really appreciate what the problem is. And I'm not saying this to be ugly or unkind. I'm saying this so that we can identify what our greatest challenge is in the modern church. We have largely forgotten what our mission is in the Lord's church today. And, and that's why our, our numbers are shrinking here, at least in the United States, as Rob so graphically literally, graphically pointed out to us with the charts that he uh, demonstrated on that first night. Rather than being a force of evangelism, I'm afraid we've become a field of evangelism. So there's lots of things that we can do as the church that are good and fine and proper within themselves, but mark this down, they are not the main mission of the church. So the beginning place of growing the church is to reestablish what our mission really is. Once we're all on the same page about what our mission is, our primary task is, then we can march forward 
and be victorious with the banner of the gospel held high. But if we lose sight of our mission, then as somebody has aptly said, any organization, a church or, or a business, any organization that loses sight of its mission is going to last about as long as a fire lasts without oxygen. Let me ask you, how long will a company last if that company has lost, lost sight of its purpose? If it's forgotten what it's in business for? I mean, that, that business may have the most wonderful bookkeeping and recording system that you could imagine. It may have the most beautiful facilities. It may have the best people in the world working there. It may have a great inner office relations and communications, and it may have a great system of information going out to its stockholders. It's got all of these things going for it, but the bottom line is, if that business is not making a profit, they're going to have to close their doors probably sooner than later. And I think in a very real way, in a very similar way, the church simply has to remember what we're in business for. The problem as I see it, that we have gradually redefined our focus until we bought in to the idea that the church exists in order to be able to serve our own membership. And I'm not just guessing about that, folks. There are so many things I read in Brotherhood journals where the emphasis is, and even sometimes the classifieds in the back of the Gospel Advocate and other papers that are produced by the Brotherhood that are seeking preachers to come and preach for their congregation, and almost without exception, the qualifications are that they will come and serve that church, its membership. We've lost what we're in business for if that's our ideal of what we ought to be doing, preacher or anybody. If we're just serving ourselves, then we've lost sight of what our mission really, really is. You know, what can be said of a business can also be said of a school or a university, can it? And I, and I realize because of where we're located that I'm, I'm treading on dangerous territory just here, but it still needs to be said. What happens if a school forgets that their primary mission is to educate and train students and not just have a successful athletic program? You know, I'm all for sports in our colleges and universities. I mean, I'm all for it. But I also recognize that that is not their main mission. And if that becomes their main mission, then they've lost sight of what it is that they built that institution for in the first place. Just how good is that institution of higher learning going to be? Now, I'm sure you've gotten the point by now. The church's mission is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and to do what he has done. What was it that he did? He came to seek and save the lost. When he called his earliest disciples, what did he say to them? Come and follow me and I will do what? I will make you to be fishers of men. I will not make you an administrator. I will not give you busy tasks and church work to do so that you don't have any time to actually touch men and women with the power of the gospel. The primary reason I'm calling you and asking you to, to turn your back on many things that were a part of your former life is because I want to see you being able to fish for men rather than just fishing for fish out on the Sea of Galilee. So if we're really following Jesus in the 21st century, what are we doing? Well, we're going to be fishing for men, just like those disciples were. And conversely, if we're not fishing for men, then we're not really following Christ. No matter how many other good things that we may be doing, I really believe it's that simple. And yet sometimes, because it's so simple and so obvious, we tend to overlook it. 
We've just kind of gotten so busy with church work that we've forgotten what our main mission is. Let me throw another Bible passage into the mix here because I think it's germane. Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. There the Lord says, when a student is full grown, he is going to be like his teacher. Now there's a whole lesson there, but again, we're going to save that for another time. Jesus says the point of discipleship is so that the disciple becomes like the teacher. The New King James actually reads like this, but everyone who is perfectly trained will become like his teacher. So you see, it's not the business of the church to try to fill ourselves with head knowledge or other people with head knowledge only to the extent of saying, now I know more Bible. And I can hold my own in a biblical argument with anyone. And I'll know how to respond if someone asks me a question in a Bible class. No, that is not the point of being into the Word of God. Being into the Word of God is in order to be able to help us grow spiritually and then to equip us to be able to carry that same saving message out into the world so that the souls of men and women may be redeemed. So Jesus says, you've got to realize that when you're following Jesus, the point is that you become like him more every day of your life. Well, that's who we want to be like, isn't it? Again, Jesus is the person of interest there in that passage. And I'm not going to reflect on your intelligence by telling you that a disciple who isn't trying to be like his master actually is going to hurt the cause. Got too much of that already. And Paul talked about how to address that in 1 Corinthians 5. So, so when we come to understand what Christ's mission was, we inevitably come to understand what our own mission is as well. Let me take you in one more direction before we bring this to a conclusion. I, I want us to look at our text. If you will, turn back in your device or your Bible to Matthew 28 for just a moment. Because I want us to look at what Jesus said that he wanted his people, his church, that was about to be established, what he wanted them to do. Christ has given us our marching orders, and they're summed up in our text. He said, all authority or power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go you therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always even into the end of the age. Let's break that down for a moment so that we'll make sure that we know exactly what our marching orders are. I don't want anybody to leave this building this morning scratching their head saying I'm still not real squared away on what it is that we need to be doing as our primary mission. Jesus gave us our marching orders. If you want to know the greatest command, that's found in Matthew 22, 37 through 39. If you want to know the great commission, you have to park on Matthew 28 or Mark 16 or Luke 24. Here, Matthew's account says, go. That's an interesting word. It obviously indicates being activated. We're, actu we're actuating the premise, the mission that Jesus said that we as his people are to be involved in. By the way, this word go is more literally translated as you go or even after you have gone. That's why I titled this lesson what I titled it this morning, As You Go, because that's exactly what Jesus said that his disciples then and now are to be involved in. So as you go or after you have gone, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make disciples of all nations. And you're going to do that by evangelizing and by edifying and by equipping. 
And then I want you to baptize them in the name of the Godhead because that is a part of God's desire and design for lost humanity. And then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded. I I think you've noticed, those of you who've been a part of the kingdom of Christ for any length of time, that when a, a person becomes a brand new Christian, I mean, they've confessed the Lord, they've repented of their past sins, and they've been baptized, immersed in water to have their sins washed away because that's God's plan, clearly indicated eight times in the book of Acts, the book of conversions. That when that person comes out of the water, they don't ever know everything there is to know about their Christian life and what God would have them to be doing. I think that's a part of what Jesus instructed his disciples and us to be doing, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And so Christianity is, in fact, a lifelong learning experience, isn't it? I mean, we just keep on learning. And the more we learn, the more we delve into the book and we learn even more. And then we learn how to apply that to our lives on a daily and in a practical way. By the way, let me add this too. I believe a part of the teaching them to observe all things, part of the Great Commission, was when Jesus was at least implying to his disciples that as you're teaching them, as you're planting the the seed of the word of God in their hearts, you need to be teaching them at that moment, even more before they make the decision to follow Jesus, that when they become a child of God, everything that the Lord commands them to do in his word, they're going to do. Now, you don't know all of that yet. That's what studying and learning and growing is all about. But I want you to know that before you're baptized, that that you have that understanding. That as soon as you find out that this is the will of God for you, you're going to do it. You're going to observe all things that the Lord has commanded. I think that's a part of the command as well. And then there's that blessed promise. I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. And then we have that blessing. The the, the point of all of this, folks, is, is, man, this is powerful stuff. The point of the Great Commission is that I am and you are to intentionally, deliberately be making disciples wherever we go. Whatever day of the the week it is, whatever time is is registered on the clock, wherever our locale may be at the moment, we are to be making disciples. That is to be our mentality. And I'm afraid that the perception that we've come to have in the church is that evangelism and disciple-making is just a team of people, an elite group of people within the local congregation that's somewhat like a spiritual SWAT team. You know, they're the Delta Force. And they've got their briefcases and their literature and their tracks and their audio-visual equipment. By the way, I'm not belittling those things. If those things work for you, then, then God bless you as you go and you use those things. I am of the opinion that there are going to be a lot of people in heaven because of Joel Miller film strips. Some of you remember those. I, I, whatever, whatever methodology that you're using, God bless you as you use it. So I'm not minimizing those things, but we've come to believe that that's the only part of the church that needs to be evangelistic. And I, so I'm either on the Delta Force or I'm not winning souls at all. But the Bible says that every one of us who has become a disciple of Jesus needs to be interested and involved in winning souls at some level. Can we all do the same thing in doing that? Not necessarily. We're all gifts. Paul, Paul, we're all different people. And Paul accommodates that giftedness in 1 Corinthians 12. He accommodates our individuality. And he says, whatever it is, whatever your gift and your talent is in the kingdom of Christ, you can use that in order to be able to win people to Christ. I believe Paul. 
because he was inspired when he wrote that. I believe God meant exactly what he said. But the Bible says we all need to be winning souls in some way. But if we develop that, that SWAT team mentality, then we come to think that, again, that's the only segment of the church that needs to be evangelizing, when in reality that is not the only way, maybe not even the most effective way, to reach people for the Lord. So if I'm on the SWAT team and we pick Tuesday night to go out and do personal work, if that works, then let's do that. But there's a lot more people involved and soul winning than just that that delta force. Remember once again, the text says that the message of the Great Commission is, as you go, after you have gone out in the various walks of your life on a daily basis, you needed to be doing what? You need to be making disciples. So you get to thinking, well, if I can't be down at the church building on Tuesday nights, then I can't ever win anybody to Christ. No, look at the Great Commission again. And ask yourself, where am I going to be on Tuesday or Thursday or whatever night of the week? Well, I'm going to be on a business trip to Kansas City. Well, fine. While you're on the plane, as you go, remember to be looking for opportunities to make disciples and to speak a word for Jesus. I believe that if we will do that consistently, it will become second nature to us. Wherever we go, whether it's in the supermarket or on an airplane flying around the world, we'll begin looking for opportunities to be able to speak a word for the Lord and to be able to make disciples for Jesus Christ. Have you ever talked to somebody about spiritual matters that was from a different city or a different state? You know, maybe you bumped into them on vacation or on a business trip, and you got to talking about spiritual matters. And you probably got to thinking at some point, you know, if eventually someone else was able to lead this person to the point of conversion, that wouldn't help the numbers back at home at all. You know, because here they are in a, in a different state than, than where I go to church. And, and so we're not really growing the local church. You know what you are growing? You're growing the kingdom of Christ. That's what the Great Commission is all about. It doesn't matter if you're adding to the local numbers and the records and the role of the, of the local congregation. What matters is that men and women are being added to the kingdom of Christ by the power of God himself. That's really what the Great Commission is all about. Is having that kind of mentality. Now, if those of us in the church would come to appreciate the true mission of the church, then as we go to the office, as we go to the work site, as we go to our school classroom, as we go back home to our families, wherever we go, it, again, it would become second nature to us to speak a word for the Lord and to look for opportunities to be able to make disciples. Can you imagine what would happen with this church or any church if we could just get a good part of the church to develop that kind of mentality. If that's ever going to happen, it starts with instilling this divine principle in the minds of the people. Get the, I've got to be on a special forces mentality out of your head and get the true mission and meaning of disciple making in your head. That's the answer to our problem of why we aren't growing anymore. And that will affect everything the church does. Rob talked about that at length. With every activity that we're involved in as a church, we're going to be thinking, this is what we're doing this for. We're looking for an open door. We're looking for an open heart that we might be able to share the gospel with someone and lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not just doing it in order to be doing it. Let me end with this thought. Everything the church does is either germinal or terminal. Here's what I mean by that. If an activity of the church is terminal, 
That means that once the activity is finished, that's all we do. We don't take it any farther, and, and, and we're finished. I think that oftentimes, back when we had our bus ministries, that what, that's what we did. The idea was to bring the kids into the church building and to teach them, and that's important. But we also meant to, as step two, to, to contact and bring their parents in and teach them as well. We never got to step two. So that was a terminal activity. We just had a lot of kids on the bus that we brought to the church building, and eventually that ran its course. We can do that with everything that the church is involved in if we're not careful. When we take groceries to a needy family, when we take teddy bears to the children in the hospital, when we cook a meal for someone who has just lost a loved one, whatever it is that we're doing, that's all we do, then that's terminal activity and terminal thinking. All of those things, by the way, are good things, and they are needed things. And a congregation needs to give attention to all of those things that I have just enumerated. But they are not all there is to the ministry of reconciliation. People must be helped to address their spiritual needs with the word of God. And if we're not doing that, then we're not doing and fulfilling the mission that Christ had in mind when he said, Go make disciples of all nations. Now, on the other hand, germinal thinking and germinal activities are exactly what it sounds like. It's just planting some seed. It's expecting that seed to, to come up. It's, it's leading to something. It's pointing to something that is yet to come that will eventuate when the Word of God takes root in the hearts and lives of men and women. And, and what it's leading to is this. We want to see that person that we helped, that we took groceries to or whatever, to be a part of the saved kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I know my heart, that's where I stand. I've always believed and preached that we can all be involved in soul winning in some way, even though we clearly don't all have the same talents or abilities, and, and that's a part of God's plan for his church as well. But all of us can lead souls to Christ in some way at some level. So let's make absolutely certain that in all of our good works and all the ministries that the church is involved in, that we do, don't become the Church of Christ grill. We do have some wonderful ministries in this congregation. I, I've never been a part and worked with a church that's so involved and so busy with the various ministries and programs that are made available to our people. And that's a wonderful thing. And, and I believe that we'll see even bigger and better things in the future. At least that's my prayer. But while we're doing all of these things, and while we're involved in all of this church work, let's not fail to carry out our marching orders. Let's not fo fail to focus on our main mission. Let's not forget what we're in business for. And having reestablished our main mission, we then can aim everything at that, that one ultimate objective, appointing people toward heaven. I, I've, I've told the story a, a few times here, but I want to end with it again this morning, if I may, of a group of people that was taking a guided tour through, I think it was St. Paul's Cathedral, in which the guide was pointing out the priceless works of art in that wonderful edifice, and the ornate frescoes, the opulence of the furnishings, and even the age and the appraised value of the building that contained all of those priceless furnishings. And then the guide then spoke of the thousands of people that toured that facility every year in order to witness its opulence. And at the end of his rather lengthy spiel, 
a woman in the back of the tour group raised her hand and asked this penetrating question, but have there been any souls saved here lately? And I'm submitting to you this morning for your careful consideration that the primary yardstick that we need to be asking when we evaluate the health, the spiritual health of our congregation or any congregation is have there been any souls saved here lately? Folks, that's our work. That's our mission. Those are our marching orders. Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on while we stand, while we sing.